What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Kent Swanson. This is the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory Mailbag Edition. And it kind of feels like this, this is like really the last off-season mailbag uh, until the regular season starts, really, because we're going to be going straight into game week next week. It's very close, fellas. I can feel it. I'm sure you can feel it, too. We got great questions to answer and here to help me answer them, as always, are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, what is good? Everything is good. We had football on last night. For the first time this year, we had a real game of football. It was a fantastic thing to watch. We got to see Jack Short run over an air conditioning unit. We got to see Jack Short <laughs> destroy a human on the field. It was just a great time. It was it was a fun game to watch. It was not a pretty game, but you know that's just the signaling that football is starting. It was like watching a preseason football game. It got me amped up. I'm ready to go. We are joined by Craig Stout, the Renaissance man. I know he has energy through the roof right now. He's ready to go. How are you doing today, buddy? I have the same amount of energy that Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas had last night. My man had a game to forget. He was poor, but it was great to watch football. I got to watch it with my good pals here on a Zoom call, and we got to just kind of joke around and enjoy football again. It was it was really nice. So I'm looking forward to talking about the Chiefs. I'm looking forward to Chiefs football. We are almost there. Next week, you guys, the Chiefs will be playing football. It's crazy. Yeah, this is really, I'm telling you, this is like the last offseason mailbag edition because next week there's going to be questions about the construction of the 53 and we're going to be four days away or three days away from the game because the Chiefs kick off the season early uh so we've got some great questions from you guys as always and we start with some uh gmail questions apnerdsquad at gmail.com is the address if you don't have twitter if you don't want to leave us a five-star review feel free to just email that account and we'll try to get your questions answered. Donnie in New Mexico. Hey, guys. Love the AP Lab and everything you do. My question is, for the price that Yannick Ngakwe went for, would you guys make the trade or keep the defensive end rotation as it is? I would personally do it because he is better than Clowney, in my opinion. I would still rather take Jadavion Clowney. I do think he's a little bit of a superior football player overall. I think his run defense is better than Ngakwe's pass rush. And then just when you flip those roles, I definitely think Clowney's better getting after the pass rusher than Ngakwe is against the run. On top of that, Ngakwe just doesn't fit the Steve Spagnuolo defensive end stereotype. He only hits one out of the three criteria that he usually goes for. Now we've seen Mike Dana is definitely an exception to that rule right now, so maybe they're going to move away from that. But at this point in time, I don't think it's worth going to pay the money to Ngakwe that he's asking for in the future or right now, especially when Clowney's still out there in free agency and you wouldn't have to give up any draft picks. All right, Adam emails in uh watching a lot of bob sutton era games lately and has me thinking if you could pick one chief's team from that era to go back and swap sutton for spags which team would you choose and how do you think that would affect the overall team performance in the regular season and playoffs thanks cheers adam this is an easy one for me 2018 Patrick Mahomes was the MVP, and that offense was ludicrous. They were held back. 
by their defense and by Bob Sutton's vanilla scheme, the New England Patriots knew exactly what Bob Sutton was doing on any given play, did not have to audible, did not have to change anything, and that was the difference in overtime of the AFC Championship game. I know that I've said multiple times, all of us have, that if the Chiefs would have made that Super Bowl, they would have beaten the Rams in that game. So really, realistically, all they had to do was get past that Patriots team. Steve Spagnuolo gets past that Patriots team. They win a Super Bowl. We are talking about three-peating in 2020 in that situation. All right. I, I 100% agree, by the way. Let's jump to the Twitter questions now. Jeff Pars, if Gregory quit all his jobs and focused 100% of his time on curing coronavirus, how long until we'd have a cure? realistically, there could already be a cure out there from the Renaissance man himself. Just we may not know until he gets verified on Twitter. <laughs> Don Beal 32. Uh, with uh, Kent's conspiracy that is coming on, I want to put down that to the 2018 draft class was all Andy while Veach was still getting the hang of GMing and then took the reins in 2019. Thoughts? I think that... Anybody that thinks that Andy Reid is not pulling a large number of the strings in that building is kidding themselves. Andy Reid runs this organization by and large. Yes, Brett Veach comes up with the scouting plan. Brett Veach and you know the, the uh, front office there sit down and work up contracts and everything like that. But I do think that Andy Reid puts his stamp of approval on almost everything that happens in that building. So yes, I do think that Andy Reid had some big say in what that draft class was, but I don't know that it was any different than any other year. I think maybe we just saw Brett Veach getting his sea legs under him finally, understanding how this all works behind the scenes, understanding, you know, how to not get smoke screened or whatever the case may be, any sort of games that GMs are playing. Basically, he figured it out after that first year, and we're seeing the results. The last two draft classes have been fantastic. I said it when this draft happened. I still think it's true now. Veach was playing it safe. He was trying really hard not to swing and miss. He was just trying to hit singles in this first draft that he was having without having the entire lead up to be all to himself. So he ends up taking guys like Speaks, Naughty, Dorian O'Daniel, all these guys that are going to be kind of safe picks that if they don't work out, there's a little bit of a fallback plan, high energy, effort guys, play really hard, really tough, things like that. And it just didn't work out. I'm with Craig, though. Andy Reid has a little bit of a say on every single thing that happens for this team. I don't know how much scouting and choosing of defensive players Andy Reid does. I don't know how involved he's going to be with that. I do think he has final say, but I do believe he trusts his scouting department and his defensive coaches to make that decision. And since this is mostly defensive players that we're talking about, I don't know how much he you can really put that blame on Andy there. Yeah, I, I think you got to look at Brett Veach's comments after the Breland Speaks pick, and I think it tells you that it wasn't more of a Brett Veach pick than it was an Andy pick. Now, that being said, everything that Craig Stout just said is 1,000% true. Andy has way more control of this entire organization in every facet than most people realize. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really nice... Um, Andy does a really good job of of separating himself publicly. Oh, that's that's Brett's job. That's Brett's job. You know that kind of stuff. 
it's a really well well built strategic tactic by him. But like he's got his hands all over everything. Just just know that. Derek Freeland asks after hearing Mahomes say he was practicing pitching the ball because he saw either Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers do it. I went back and watched Favre clips. Uh, in what ways Mahomes like Favre, and in what ways are they different? I, I mean, the the arm talent is obviously you know very prevalent in both of them. The ability to throw uh, from a variety of different platforms. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for them to throw the football with the kind of zip and pace that's required to do some of the things that these guys are capable of doing. And they both have some absurd highlight reels. Go back. I mean, watching old Favre clips is a treat. It really is. Um, I think you know one of the big things that's different between them is I think. You know, Favre, Favre, like I, Favre, he was more reckless with the football. It, it's just like some of, he had really big brain farts. Just that would did they just come out of nowhere? Just some really dumb mistakes. Mahomes avoids those mistakes, so it's kind of like it's like the it's the next level version of it's it's like the more aware version of Favre. You know, in a lot of ways, I do think both of them tough, physical, tough to bring down too. There's there's some parallels there, but there's also some differences. For me, I think the biggest difference is Patrick Mahomes is a lot better working on the move. Not that Favre couldn't do it, but when you just watch Mahomes' body control and just ability to manipulate the entire field on the move, again, Favre could do all these same things. I just think Mahomes is more accurate and a little bit more calculated on the move. He seems to be more in control. Favre was all about, if he was moving, he's just going to rifle the ball across his body into a guy that he thinks is open, running in free space. Mahomes just seems to have a little bit more control when he's on the move, whether right or left. There's other differences. I mean, Ken's talked about some of them. That's just the first one that I see when I go back and watch them. I just think that the throwing platforms, especially while on the move, and the ability of how quick it comes out of Mahomes' hand when, like I said, they're being mobile like that is something that works a little bit better for him than it did for Brett. I think Brett could throw off a different platforms. It wasn't as athletic, but I get what you're saying. He definitely could. I just think that the different arm slots that Mahomes uses, especially on the move, I just think you're just an entirely different level than anybody else we've ever seen. I and mean, that includes Brett yeah. Favre. I, it's, it's hard to find a, a fluid thrower the way Mahomes is, just period. That can do all the things he can do on top of being a fluid thrower. It's rare. It's just, I mean, it's absurd. Kay Gumminger asks, which non-starter will have the biggest impact on the Run It Back tour? You know, you could say McColl... Uh, Matt Moore, Stephen Wisniewski were super important last year. This is, I mean, McCole Hardman, I think, has to be the answer here because I don't expect him to be a starter. He's not going to be one of the top three wide receivers. He is going to make an impact play on two or three games that definitely change the direction of that game. Now, maybe it's a game the Chiefs would still win regardless, but he is going to make some plays that are going to change the direction that the game is going. I don't know if you can find any other starters that are going to have the ability to just completely change the course that the game is going besides McCall Hardman, and that's just purely due to the athleticism. Mine is pretty easy here. Um, even though the Buffalo is the Chiefs' base defense here, Dan Sorensen is not necessarily considered a starter, and he will be the third safety. He's probably going to end up playing roughly 70% of the snaps this year again for uh, the number of years in a row here Dan Sorensen uh year two in the system he's going to play mentally faster he's going to understand where he needs to be a little bit better we've talked about Dan at length you know both good and bad 
but I think this is kind of a gimme. I'm going to take the Matty answer here simply just because he's going to be on the field 70% of the time, but he's not considered a starter behind Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill. Real quick, I think it's interesting that uh, Kay Gumminger's two, uh, two of two of the three of his uh, you know impact guys weren't on the roster at the beginning of the year. So it's yeah. something to you know think about there. There's there's some guys that can come out of the woodwork. Um, technically, Willie Gay's not a starter right now, <laughs> so I'm gonna roll with my guy Bill Gay. I think he's starting week one though. This is kind of a Maddie answer too. Um, I think he's going to wind up being the starter week one still. I still believe it, but I think he is hands down clear cut the best linebacker on this football team. He is best equipped to, uh, to make an impact at the second level of this defense for the first time in a couple years, because the linebacking core for the Kansas City Chiefs is the biggest problem for this football team. It has been the biggest football, biggest problem for this football team. And that's saying a lot because their cornerbacks haven't been particularly strong either. It's really impressive what those safeties can do, man. I'm telling you. Uh, Nate CH32, who gets more snaps this season, Ben Neiman or Willie Gay and Damian Wilson combined? Insert Kent rant. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to skip the Kent rant for this one. We, we don't need to belabor the Willie Gay point over and over and over again. Don't we? No, we don't. It's Willie Gay and Damian Wilson because, like I said, that Buffalo package is their most used package last year it was the number one percentage package that they used and the dime was the next one at 28 percent at that 28 percent that's not enough to cover for when both of those guys are on the field in the base defense so as long as Damian Wilson holds that buck spot in the Buffalo or you know when he transfers out and Willie Gay takes over there's just going to be more reps for that which is why I'm not too worried about Willie Gay if he overtakes Damian Wilson here he's going to play more than Ben Neiman Ben Neiman's going to keep that dime role we're just going to see Willie Gay kind of take all of Damian Wilson's role if that is the path that they have planned for him he'll still out snap Ben Neiman if he started week one I think combined Willie Gay and Damian Wilson are obviously going to play more snaps than Ben Neiman. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. There's not really a way to do that when you consider one of them has to play in the base. And until Ben Neiman takes over as the starter in the nickel, I'm not sure that you can count on him to do that. You're going to get more nickel reps and you're going to get dime reps with Ben Neiman on the field. I do want to, since we're talking linebackers here, I'm going to reiterate. I think Willie Gay's most direct path onto the field is just simply overtaking Damian Wilson as the starter. Like, I really do think that is the most direct path. I'm sticking to it. I kind of feel like the Chiefs really like Ben Neiman, and they want to use him as much as possible because they like what he can do. Willie Gay, Damian Wilson fighting for the same amount of snaps. They are clearly doing something a little different than Ben Neiman in terms of usage, the way the team's using them. That does give Neiman a chance to play roughly the same amount of reps or more reps in either one of them separately, just combined together. I just don't think until you see Ben Neiman actively on the field starting in the nickel, you can even pretend to make that prediction. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be back right after this. All right, continuing the questions from Twitter, Graver Tanner asks, which player do you think Brett Veach could, would, should trade before cut-down day? Um, I think it's got to be one of your running backs. I think this is a really deep group, uh, and you know the Chiefs have you know I, DeAndre Washington, I think, has some value. 
Uh, and who knows if DeAndre Washington's a lock to make this football team. A little bit of it depends on special teams. I think DeAndre Washington's shown to be a capable NFL back, and you might be able to get a player for tra- player trade of some capacity or uh, maybe a, a conditional seventh-round draft pick for a guy like him. I don't really think there's a ton of moves that they're really going to be able to make, though, um, with their current roster. Yeah, looking at the roster, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be coveted by other teams that the Chiefs don't feel like they need right now. I would say look at the defensive end room. If you can find a suitor for a Breland Speaks or a Taco Charlton, which that one would be really weird given the fact that he was just a free agent that came here pretty cheap. Even Alex Okafor, like if you could find somebody to take one of them off your hands for something coming back, I think I'd go that route. Just because your starters, I think, are pretty clear with Clark and Passigno. You would have a good rotation behind them with two of those three guys left and Mike Dana working in. Even if you need Demoni Harris, that's absolutely fine. He's proven he can play in the league. It's like, I don't think you need that many guys, although I really like the defensive end room. I just don't think you need six guys that can all kind of play at the NFL level. Yeah, I was going to say defensive end, but I'm going to go real, real sleeper chance at something happening here cornerback now hear me out here because the chiefs don't have a ton of what is that position can you explain it to those for us that are fans of the kansas city chiefs it's the the one with the lighter guys and they stand near the sideline the most and like they guard. wide receivers no 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 we bring no, a no, lot no, of no, wide no. receivers in they guard the wide receivers they're the ones that are trying to make them stop getting all of the passes i know as Chiefs fans, the goal line. No, I know. As Chiefs fans, we are used to just watching cornerbacks not matter. Period. On both sides of the ball, frankly, because Patrick Mahomes is amazing. But <laughs> I was like, "What? I, Richard Sherman's not guarding anybody." So <laughs> I think that there's a lot of young bodies in that room. I think they like Antonio Hamilton as a special teamer. I think they like Bo Pete Keys and what he can bring. Jarius Sneed, Rashad. Fenton, they have Charvarius Ward, and they have Bashad Breland. Now, obviously, Bashad Breland is going to miss some time there. The Chiefs did not keep more than five corners last year on the active roster. Bashad Breland being out would leave them with five. There is a chance maybe they like Lavert Hill. Maybe they like some of these other guys that are, you know, longer shots to kind of keep at the bottom of the roster here. If they got a sweetheart deal for somebody not named Charvarius Ward at this point, because they don't want to turn over the entire roster, but maybe somebody likes Rashad Fenton. Maybe they give up a little more than the Chiefs have kind of invested in him to this point. Maybe we see them move on from that just from the pure standpoint that they've got a lot of athletic bodies in the room and not a ton of room for them. Yeah, I mean, real. I, I think the names that you'd have to look for there are Fenton and Breland. Like that's it. I don't. I think there's going to be a really hard, a difficult, you know, uh, case to make for anybody outside of those two. So if it's going to be those, it, one, if it's going to be the cornerback position, it's going to be one of those two. The only guy that would have trade value would be Ward, though. Like I mean, right. every team had multiple chances to draft Fenton, and then Bashad Breland just hit free agency again. Nobody right. wanted him. I mean, right. not that the concept's bad. I agree with Craig's like philosophy there. It's just the Chiefs don't because they don't care. Like they don't know what a corner is. They don't have anybody worth trading away. Other than Charvarius. Other than Charvarius, who they are definitively not trading because they're, Correct. Yeah, they're not going to do that to the team. All right, Brandon422 asks, former herb- herbivore here. Uh, man, that feels like forever <laughs> ago. 
The Chiefs have been searching for a large target since they took a flyer on Kelvin Benjamin. Jody Fortson seems to be a near-perfect red zone target where speed isn't needed. Is, is that what the Chiefs have been looking for? I don't know if the Chiefs have been searching for a large body target like Kelvin Benjamin. I think that there was a chance that Kelvin Benjamin could still be what he was in Carolina with Cam Newton just throwing 50-50 balls his way nonstop. So we took a shot on him. It didn't really work out. Outside that, I don't think the Chiefs have gone out of their way, and I don't even know if Kelvin Benjamin was really going out of their way to find a big-body target. Like, quite simply, that doesn't fit Andy Reid's offense. He always uses an X-wide receiver. Like He always has a possession-wide receiver that has some good size, but it's never a guy that can't run at all. It's not always a monster-sized guy. He just likes to have a quality possession-wide receiver. He doesn't need a jumbo-wide receiver. He's never really coveted that, especially with the Chiefs. I don't think the Chiefs are looking for that. They care more about speed, separation, and just having one guy that still can get deep, still has some speed, just can also be a possession receiver. I don't see Fortson's fit with the team. We talked a lot about Jody Fortson last week on the podcast that Craig and I did from dropped on Wednesday for you guys. We had a little over-under action with him. Like, There's a lot of stuff about Fortson in there for the full thing, but just simply... I don't think Fortson makes this team because, like you said, you can really only use him in the red zone, and that is such a small percentage of plays. He can't play special teams, can't really be used between the 20s. I don't know how you justify a guy to be on the roster when he's going to play 3% of the total snaps. I mean, yeah, look at Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Jeremy Macklin, T.O., I mean, these are these are the stud Andy Reid kind of receivers. And some of those guys, like T.O.'s a big dude, but he could move. Like, it's not, even like Jason Avant was more of a possession receiver, a route runner type dude. He was a bigger bodied receiver, but he wasn't this big red zone target. That's just not what Andy Reid's forte is. That's not to say that he couldn't change, you know, midstream here, but it does seem like... If you just look at the rest of the roster, it's speed and more speed and more speed. And they're not looking for that, basically, that big body target just for the red zone. Well, who are you taking off the field in the red zone? I know. That's the other part. Yeah. Like, that's the other piece. Like, I just, like, I don't know why I would want to take off, you know, I, I'm not, it's not Travis Kelsey. I don't want to take off. I mean, Tyreek Hill's a quality uh, red zone wide receiver. He really is. He's productive. Yeah. I don't want to take I don't want to take Sammy Watkins off the field to get four inches taller and a second slower. And I and I understand it's the red zone, but like, okay, what are they going to th- they're going to throw back? Are they going to throw fades? Are we going to start throwing fades in the red zone here? Like, that's not that's not good offense. That's not Andy Reid either. How often has the fade been a part of Andy Reid's offense? Andy Reid loves himself some red zone design. That's why the weirdest things that you see come in the red zone. And now all of a sudden we're just going to, instead of, instead of shift to Rose bowl, right? We're going to just line Jody Fortson up there and just stand up and throw him the football. I'm not buying it. And just put Travis, just do a Travis Kelsey. If you're going to throw a fade, I want Travis Kelsey there 10 times out of 10. Are we going to isolate Travis Kelsey? Are we going to isolate Jody Fortson instead of Travis Kelsey? Like where? How does this? Uh, how does it make sense? I'm sorry. The biggest heel turn in football right now would be Andy Reid going completely vanilla in the red zone. It would. It, there's no. no there's chance zero chance. And look, the biggest wide receiver that I think Andy Reid like heavily used. I'm sure there's probably been a guy a little bit bigger, but Hank Basket for the Eagles was six foot three, two hundred twenty four pounds. Big guy. There you go. Very big guy. 
You know what? Mm-hmm. He ran a four five three forty, so he right. could still run. That's still not slow, and it's not like he was a big part. They even let him leave, and he came back for a second stint. Like that's just not something that Andy Reid goes after. I don't think he's all of a sudden going to get one of the best quarterbacks on the move from the pocket. One of the guys that's the most magician with the football ever, and all of a sudden say, "Okay, now start throwing fades or start throwing slants to a guy that can't run or change directions." Like. They are not going to use Fortson to the best of his ability. You won't see the Chiefs use Fortson at his highest level as other teams would that like to throw fades and stuff like that. And I think it's really hard to justify a roster spot on a guy that doesn't really play special teams and doesn't help you in between the 20s. It's also worth noting that the Kelvin Benjamin experiment failed miserably. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I don't want to dunk on this man's dreams. I don't want to dunk on people that that like Jody Fortson. I get why you sh- I mean, he's like one of the few people we're getting morsels of information about. And like, I could see, like, I think there's a difference between impressing, you know, with contested catches and creating separation within an offense. And there's, you know, like he's got to be able to get to the spots that they need him to get to. And he profiled, he's basically a tight, he's a tight end. He's a slower tight end. That's playing wide receiver. He's a big body guy, but even watching him, like, I don't think he's a guy creating separation any better than he ever has. Sports Talk Evan, what pick would you take Clyde Edwards-Alaire in in a fantasy draft? Take him in, in the first round with confidence. Take him in the top six-ish with confidence. I think it's a little bit of a bold move. Um, I was in a keeper league uh, draft this weekend, and he went second overall. Now, there was some guys that kind of – there was some first-round prospects that got taken, you know, for sure. So – Take him in the first round with confidence. I he's he's gonna have a fantastic year. Maui OI asks, uh, who has who's more likely to make the final roster? Breland Speaks or Dorian O'Daniel? So I think this is gonna this is gonna surprise. I think the answer is Dorian O'Daniel. Um just because of special teams, just because of Dave Tobe. It has nothing to do with his linebacker ability, although I think he would be only the fifth linebacker on the roster. The Chiefs have no linebackers. They have the four, and then they have Dorian O'Daniel, and then they have Amari Cobb. The Darius most experienced, Harris. Darius Harris. The most experienced linebacker be- behind Dorian O'Daniel until last week was Emmanuel Smith, and he got cut. And so now it's you know it's guys that will if they make the if they make that I'll be surprised. I think it's I think it's Dorian O'Daniel. It's purely because of special teams and because there is legitimate competition at the edge position for Breland Speaks. Yeah, there's legitimate competition, but he showed up in shape. He showed up looking good. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week that he looks a lot better from a body standpoint. I think that they are not going to give up a cost-controlled defensive end, especially in a room that's lacking a lot of defensive ends beyond this year. I think they give him another shot. I think that he's got more of a path to seeing the field than Dorian O'Daniel does. Dorian O'Daniel has now been through two different organizations. Dorian O'Daniel has been the most athletic linebacker for two years and could not see the field when the Chiefs were getting whooped on the second level by speed and athleticism. He couldn't get on the field. It just wasn't clicking for him. I think that they keep Speaks. They've got a little more invested in Speaks. I think they can move on from Dorian O'Daniel and not have anybody really kind of blink an eye at it. 
I think it's Breland Speaks pretty easily as well. If you're going to give one of these guys, just based on the very little that we've seen, if you're going to give one of these guys the benefit of the doubt that this is the year they turn it around, Speak showed up in shape. Seems like he looks pretty good. He's worked in with the first and second team a lot more often than it seems like Dorian O'Daniel has. Dorian O'Daniel's been surpassed on the depth chart by Ben Neiman at the weak side linebacker spot. Damian Wilson last year at the weak side linebacker spot. I'm not too, I wouldn't struggle to say that Willie Gay would probably get a shot to start at will before Dorian O'Daniel would. And then like, if you're talking about your final linebacker, your fifth linebacker right now, I don't think that they would keep O'Daniel over Darius Harris purely at linebacker because Harris, I think, has shown a little bit more ability to maybe play the mic. I think that's where he was getting some reps this past camp that we saw. Dorian O'Daniel can only play one position in that linebacker group, and he's like the fifth guy. If you allow safeties to take that role, he's like the fifth guy in line there. So I just don't know where you put him. His one thread of hope, Dave Tobe, the short shorts and the special teams play, but I just don't think there's any chance that Breland Speaks doesn't get this on this roster. Dave Tobe has way too much pull. BT and KC, name one player that doesn't make the 53 this year that completely catches you off guard, no pun intended. Woo! Ah, uh, this is, this is kind of hard, but I'll go Taco Charlton. Uh, especially with the news... Uh, today from James Palmer, or tonight, I guess I should say, from James Palmer, that Tershawn Wharton is almost a lock for the 53. I think that we kind of expected that maybe the Chiefs would carry an extra defensive end and you know just kind of patch it up on the middle there with Mike Pinnell's absence for two games. Tershawn Wharton making the team. He would be the fourth defensive tackle. Don't Read what the Chiefs have published there. He's not 255 pounds. We saw him on Saturday. He looks much heavier than the other 255 pounders that are standing around him. I think he's going to be the fourth defensive tackle. If he's a lock to make the roster, I think that means they got to trim a defensive end. And if they have to trim a defensive end, I think it comes down to Speaks, Taco, or Okafor. Okafor, they already restructured his contract. I think they're going to stick with him there. So it's Speaks or Taco. And based on the previous question that we just answered there, I think Taco might be the odd man out. I mean, this is kind of hard because I think the Chiefs roster is relatively easy to predict down to about the last four guys, maybe. And so if it's my last four guys coming in, it's not going to completely catch me off guard if any one of the four that I put in make it or don't. So a guy that I think that I feel pretty safe about right now would be Tedrick Thompson. I think if Tedrick Thompson doesn't make this team, especially based on what we saw on Saturday and how they're using him, and just the fact that his competitions are Monty Watts, Adrian Colbert, um, Rodney Clemens, who just doesn't seem like he's getting that much love coming out of camp, it just doesn't seem like there's anybody standing in the way of him making the team. And I don't love Tedrick Thompson. I've just kind of, it looks like he should definitely make the roster as the fourth safety right now. And if he doesn't, that would kind of shock me based on everything we've seen from the unit. Yeah, the Chiefs are going to be in some weird roster crunches here because they I, they might keep 10 offensive line. wouldn't be stunned by that. They might have to keep a lot of defensive line too. Um, so you, you got to find ways. You got to find places to make sacrifices. I wonder, Darwin Thompson, I, I wouldn't be stunned by really anybody not making – like a, a player that doesn't make the 53 this year that completely catches you off guard, I, I don't anticipate that happening. But Darwin Thompson's a guy I could see um, – maybe he's a trade candidate. Frankly, maybe he's a guy that they move on from because I don't know how much, you know, how, how valuable he is to this football team. 
Uh, T-E-R-O-3. Do the Chiefs wait until week six or so to sign Jadavian Clowney for about eight to ten million for the rest of the season, Maddie? If he's available week six, I think we said. Yeah, if he's available week six, you're signing him to like four million dollars because he's just simply not like at that point in time, he has no leverage anymore. Like unless you have an injury, he has no leverage. And I feel like that it's what he's waiting for. I just don't even know if teams are going to be chomping at the bit to bring him in to cover for an injury, especially with an expensive contract. Like you want to tell me you sign Clowney right now for eight to ten million dollars, I'll buy it. I think that's what good teams want to pay him. He should have turned down $16 million from bad teams or more. He should have taken that if he wanted money. If he wants to play for a good team, he's going to have to settle for, I think, single digits. And I would do it now. You wait till midseason. Nah, cut that in half. Uh, the Clan McLean asked the over-under on Jody Fortson offensive stats at 250 yards and two and a half touchdowns. These guys, I think, already answered the question earlier in the week, so I'm just going to take this one. Uh, give me the under. That's a very comfortable under. I don't think he's making the football team. I just, I don't see it. It's just like, are, are we going to get, are, we, are the Chiefs cutting Byron Pringle to, to keep Jody Fortson? Like who are they cutting to keep Jody Fortson too? And who is Dave Tobe giving up <laughs> to keep Jody Fortson too? Like, I don't think we saw Jody Fortson play any special teams in that can in that practice. Like maybe they're playing coy with him. Maybe they're, maybe they're pulling a Billy, a Bill Gay, Maddie. I don't know, but give me the under on that. Don Beal, 32. As draft guys, how do you quantify a successful draft class? Contributors out of every player drafted, a couple of scar uh, stars to cancel out the scrubs. What do you think, Maddie? So when you look at draft prospects, we assign grades to them. For the Casey draft guide, you kind of have a rubric for how you're assigning these grades. So if you got a guy graded as like a top 10 pick, he should come in and pretty much be a, a high-level starter right away in his first year. If you get to the end of his rookie contract and this guy isn't a perennial pro bowler and he's not pushing for all pros, like I think that a top 10 grade would be incorrect. So if you took a guy in the top 10, then I don't know if you can really call that a hit. Like you have grades like that for first round, second round, all the way down. So you kind of look through a draft class. If the guys you took in their selected spots fit your criteria of what you've assigned to that area, they if the majority of them hit, that's a successful draft class. Now, obviously some guys like Patrick Mahomes, being the best quarterback of all time, it doesn't matter where you picked him and it doesn't matter what you did that draft or the next draft since you used a pick from the following year for it. <laughs> like those two drafts are complete successes because Patrick Mahomes completely blows away whatever you would have else you would have gotten, you know, with a 10th overall pick value. But there's a rubric that we kind of use. It just says what we think each area of the draft is worth. If a player meets that criteria, he's a hit. You get more hits than misses. It was successful. Yeah, you heard it here first. Maddie thinks the 2018 draft class is a success because they used their first-round draft pick to draft Patrick Mahomes the year before. I will die on that hill. Derek Nottie and Patrick Mahomes from that draft class? You're telling me that's bad? Mm, no, you will never get me to say that Derek Nottie is bad, sir. I will I will defend that man to the death. Yeah, it, it's basically, you know, obviously if you got a first-round draft pick, you want to see early production out of the player you want to see him rotated into his particular position group quickly and you want to see him get the lion's share of the snaps like Clyde Edwards Hilaire this in you know this year you are hoping that he's going to be RB1 right from the get-go and his entire rookie camp you know or entire rookie contract he's basically going to have success being the Chiefs RB1 
Now, Willie Gay Jr., Juan Thornhill, McCole Hardman, you move it back a little bit. You don't have to have the immediate impact. Now, obviously, it's great when that happens. Juan, Juan Thornhill is a massive success because of that. And then it keeps scaling back every round. You know, Rotational guys in the third round are great, or guys that are going to redshirt like Lucas Niang. That's great. You know, get those guys in the future there. You're trying to maximize your rookie deals as much as possible with every round back. Basically, I kind of reduce the expectations about how much that player can play and whether or not they're making the roster. Uh, I kind of grade on a curve sometime because I do like I I do try. I don't, I don't want to blame teams for some of the injury issues that happen. Like, I think there's a difference between good process and bad process. And there's some teams that have bad process and bad results. And there are some teams that have good process and sometimes have some bad luck. You know, there's some good football players that some circumstances are excusable. Uh, but largely, I think if you're getting, um, you know, solid, if, if, if you're, you know, day one and day two picks are reaching their expectations, successful draft. If you're, if you're getting a guy day three uh, and, and getting one guy to hit on day three, I think that's a good draft. Uh, that's that's probably the structure for me. Yeah, I, I want to say I, I do agree with Kent. I think your top picks in the top 90, top 100 definitely have a little bit higher weight. Like, it's not good to miss on your first three picks and then hit on three day three draft picks that are a backup player and two special teams players. Like, that doesn't account or make up for if you miss on your first three picks. Hence why day three picks are useless and you should always trade them for veteran players. But like, no, if that that was coming, (laughs) yeah, you have to wait it towards the guys in the front, the guys that actually, you know, change the game or significant. I also think it's worth noting too, the undrafted free agents matter. Getting a Ben Neiman that comes in and no matter how much we don't love him as a player, the fact that he can come in from a draft class, get on the field and play productive special team reps matters. And now the fact that he's at least able to eat up reps as a starter like that does make that a worthwhile addition to the draft class you just have to gauge it based on where they went an undrafted free agent that eats up starting or rotational reps like that does help a draft class look better oh absolutely 100 that's why i love hashtag lottery tickets all right that is going to do it for the monday mailbag edition thank you guys so much for listening make sure you are checking out the arrowhead pride podcast channel so much going on all the time we'll be back on wednesday catch you later